I appreciate the gracious invitation by Brother Josh to be a part of these, be a part of these services. And uh, I'm the least of all of it. I promise you, I appreciate everything that's been said thus far. And uh, from Brother Simpson this morning, and then, man, appreciate what Brother Poindexter had to say. It's one thing about it, if we don't learn how to behave ourselves online, man, the, the, when you mess up right there, you mess up in front of the world. And there's a record of it. I mean, I, I, I've, I've told my boys, I said, and I tell our teenage church, I said, man, you know, one day you're going to want to get a job. And I said, you better believe that your employer is going to go look at what you put online. That's the first thing they're going to look at. And uh, But I appreciate I appreciate that greatly. I, I think, man, I wanted to preach on it at home. We're, we're, we're known by our like button. I got a bunch of, we got youngers that just hit like, 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 like. No, I have no idea what they're hitting like to. But I appreciate that warning, Brother Poindexter. And I appreciate how you took the Word of God and showed us how to be that way. And I appreciate Brother Ralph. I, don't, I tell you, at 50 years old, if there's anything that's on the, the forefront of my mind, it's finishing. I want to finish. I, I want to finish. I, I've, got a fo- I've got a picture on my phone. And I tell you, it's convicting. Brother, Brother Davey was talking about his grandchildren. And, and I've, I've got a picture. This is camp. And I got about 20 young'uns around me hugging my, hugging my legs and my waist. And I'll just show you, man. And I look at that and I'm, I remind myself, I don't want to let them down. I just look at their, their, and those are seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds. And, and uh, boy, I don't want to break their hearts and let them down. And uh, I appreciate what you had to say. I, I, longevity, back in Baptist history, man, it was one man for one church for a lifetime. And uh, God help us, I want to be that. And then I promise you, every one of us needed to hear the warning of that brother that Brother Davey preached to us. There's not one of us in here that's above falling. There's not, there's not one of us, one bad decision, one, one bad situation. I, I, I read something about Daniel this week. said Daniel never got caught in sin because Daniel was always running from sin. Amen. And uh, I tell you, we better be wise. We better be wise in the hour which we live and I appreciate every message that's been that's been said. I appreciate the the good the good invitation. And this may be different. I, I've tried to pray. I've I thought about preaching on the. I think one of the greatest one of the greatest premiums on preaching was made by the Lord Jesus. And uh, when he's when they told it, the, the rich man, he said, "They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them." He said they wouldn't believe sitting by about the dead. He said, "But there's some preachers." Let them listen to the preaching. I thought about preaching that. I thought about preaching on Acts 28. On I got bit, but I didn't quit. Amen. And just mark her down, friend. If you're going to be in the ministry long, you're going to get bit. And I'll say this to all of us. You can't keep people from seeing you struggle. But you can keep them from seeing you quit. Amen. We're we're no better than the folks sitting on our pews. We have seasons where it's difficult and heaven seems silent. And our Bible reading at times can be, y'all pray for me, I'll just be honest. Sometimes your Bible reading and studying can become a drudgery and you feel like, man, I'm getting nowhere. And you get to where you're struggling. 
But just don't quit. Just don't quit. But this is the Lord. I, I, my, my thought coming up the road this morning is, is speaking about Timothy. The Bible said that they served his generation by the will of God. And I, 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 one of the old writers I read years ago said every generation of preachers is responsible for that generation of sinners. Amen. And I've got children. And one of these days, if the Lord be willing, I'll have grandchildren. And I, I, I'm going to need some young men that will preach to them. Amen. Like Brother Dave talking about his granddaughter this morning, or grandchild this morning. And we're going to need somebody to preach to them. And if the Lord will help me, maybe you'll understand where I'm going. Second Samuel chapter 21. Let's stand together. And um, I, I've, I've got a probably a longer drive as most of y'all, so I'm not going to weather you. Don't go to sleep because I might land in your lap. You never know. And, uh, and I promise you, you'll know when I land in your lap. Amen. I'm heavy. All these these guys identifying as other things. I weigh in the neighborhood of 300 pounds, but I identify as a skinny man. I'm trans slender. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I got their attention now. <laughs> Amen. Some of these guys changing Bibles. They're transtextuals. Amen. Everybody all right. Verse number 10, the Bible said that Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock. From the beginning of the harvest unto the water dropped from upon them out of heaven, and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beast of the field by night. It was told David that Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done and David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from the men of Jabesh Gilead, which had stolen from the fence from stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them, when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. The bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah in the sepulcher of Kish his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. You can be seated. I'm interested in verse number 10. The Bible said, And Rizpah the daughter of Ai took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. Let me just lay a little bit of foundation. I'll get into the message. I want you to notice verse number one. The Bible said there was a famine in the days of David three years year after year and David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites, because of this famine that was going on in this day, David began to seek the Lord that God would give him an answer and God would help him to understand why the judging hand of the Lord Jesus was on the, uh, was on the nation of Israel. And God informed David that the famine, uh, this judgment famine always 
picture of the judgment of God in the Old Testament. And the Lord let David realize and know that it was because that the law or a covenant that had been made between Israel and the Gibeonites had been violated by Saul. This covenant takes us all the way back to Joshua chapter 9. Those Gibeonites were a remnant of that Amorite people. And they heard how the Lord was letting those the nation of Israel as they crossed Jordan and were making their way to came through Canaan. That city after city after city and king after king were falling in the wake of the power of God. And what those Gibeonites realized that the only way they were going to make it was they were going to have to make a league with Joshua and his people. So what did the Amorites do? They feigned themselves to be from a great distance. They put old clothes on. They took old wineskins. And they feigned themselves to have traveled a long way. And when they got there, they told them, they said, man, we've come from a great distance and we want to make a league with you. And it looked, boy, what appeared to the eye, it made them look like everything they were telling was the truth. And Joshua made a mistake. The Bible said that he counseled not with the Lord. And may I just warn you, young men, everything that's carrying a Bible in this day and everything that feigns itself to be an old time Christian, friends, you better counsel with the Lord. May I say the greatest counterfeits are the ones that look most like the original. But you better look behind the curtain to make sure that what you're seeing is the real deal or before you know it, neighbor, you'll be in league with something that you didn't realize. And may I say, even though the Gibeonites had tricked Joshua, they had still made a league and a covenant with the Gibeonites regardless of what everybody else thought or what somebody else felt about it. It was something that could not be altered and it could not be changed. But for some reason, Saul took it upon himself and we don't really know what it is. But he chose to disregard. He chose to disobey. And he destroyed that covenant that was made between Joshua and the Gibeonites. And that brings us to verse number 10. I want you to notice three quick things. First of all, if the Lord will help for just a few minutes, I want to preach on this thought. For the children's sake. For the children's sake. I'm telling you, listen, I got this week just preaching last night, preaching to some young people at Brother Rudy's on a youth emphasis night on Friday night. And I'm telling you, God help us to reach another generation with the truth of the Word of God, with genuine Christianity. I mean, we're living in a day, Brother Tucker, where there's groups of men. I appreciate what Brother Poindexter said. Don't waste your time trying to convince somebody that's left their hands. They're not going to change their mind. But friend, we're living in a day where there's a group of men they are deconstructing their faith. I'm not trying to go, listen, I'm not on an apology tour going around saying I'm apologizing for what, how I was raised and how the preachers preach to me. I've got nothing to apologize for. I'm not sorry that I was raised the way I was raised. They say those men were abusers and they were dictators. Man, I'm 6'6", 300 pounds. They ain't 
nobody making me do anything. Amen. I'm not doing it because I'm afraid of some preacher going to come and whip me and abuse me, friend. I'm telling you, I want to thank God for some men that opened the Bible without apology and preached the Word of God to me and pulled my family out of hell. And I got saved by the grace of God. I mean, thank God for what He's done. But our younglings are going to grow up with a generation of preachers that are spending more time telling them it's okay to act like the world than it is to edify them to be like Christ. Amen. And I, I Brother David, had that Bible tear coating around, and he said it has not changed. If it was sin, if it was sin 30 years ago, it's still sin today. Amen. See the problem is, and I'll just say this: they they don't want their they don't want their Christianity to inconvenience their carnality. Amen. I'm not being ugly. I'm just saying. So what I need is, I need some young men to decide that I'm going to stay with the book. I'm going to stay with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to stay with being separate from the world. I'm going to stay for, listen, for loving sinners and confrontational evangelism and missions and buses. I mean, and living right and living clean and by the grace of God, reach sinners for the glory of Christ. Amen. So the Lord will help me for a little while, just a few minutes. I want to preach on that thought for the children's sake. Notice the Bible in verse number 8. I want you to notice the sorrow that this mother faced. The sorrow she felt. Understand this, what Saul had done could not be overlooked. An entire nation was about to be judged because of one man's disobedience. Are, are you getting, did you hear what I said? One entire nation was about to be judged above one man's disobedience. What Saul did could not be swept under the rug. It had to be dealt with. See what happened, man. Old David went over and asked the Gibeonites. He said, what have I got to do? What can we do to appease the wrath of the Gibeonites so the judgment of God will not sit on us? And he said, we don't want your gold and we don't want your silver. He said, what we want is the memory of the one that destroyed us uh, to be eradicated uh, from the coast of Israel. He said, so i tell you what we want. He said, we want seven of Saul's sons and we're going to hang them uh, because of what he did for us. I've listened to this mother in verse number 10. Uh, she is broken hearted uh, because two of her boys uh, are the ones that are going to have to die. I can just see as the knock came at the door uh, and the messenger came uh, that David was going to need her boys. Uh, I mean, listen, don't you know, uh, uh, she had to crumple to her feet uh, and realize under the weight uh, that God uh, was going to allow her sons uh, to have to give their life. Uh, and do you say, did she beg for the lives of her boys? Uh, don't you know that she probably did? Uh, did she lie at the feet of the king and beg for their life? I probably believe she did. Uh, and we're not, we're not privy 
or to the details of what went on. But can I say even in the selection of those boys, I see a glimmer. I see a little bit of glimmer of hope and a little bit of glimmer of grace. You say, how in the world do you see any hope that seven sons are going to have to die? Well, look at verse number 7. The Bible said, but the king spared Mephibosheth of the son of Jonathan, of the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Can I tell you why we need some young men to stand up and proclaim the gospel? We know judgment's coming. We know there's more going to hell than are going to heaven. But can I tell you, just like it was for Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth wasn't going to heaven because of anything he did. But there was a covenant made long before Mephibosheth got there. He wasn't going to heaven because he was mighty in strength. He was a cripple. He wasn't going to heaven because he was talented. He wasn't going to heaven because he had a following. But he was going to heaven because there was an oath made between David and Jonathan. And I want to say praise God. We're sitting here this morning and there's grace and hope for our life because there was a covenant made long before we ever got here. And there's another generation that need to hear judgments coming. But he has made a way of escape. Aren't you glad? Thank God that you and them can be a partaker of the grace of God. I like that covenant. That covenant between David and Jonathan. Boys, 1 Samuel 18. First thing he did, old Jonathan, come help me, brother David. First thing old Jonathan did was he took him kingly robes and put it on David. Amen. He said, I tell you what, amen. Man, hallelujah. I'm not going to put his on, amen. I tell you what he said. He said, I want you to know, Jonathan was saying to David, he said, my possessions are your possessions. Aren't you glad for the day you got in his covenant? He said that we're an heir and a joint heir. Amen, friend. Aren't you glad when you got in the family, everything that belonged to him now belongs to us. We're not blessed because we earned it. Because Miss Faith York said we couldn't earn it. But blessed be God, the moment you got born again, he made you an heir and a joint heir. He gave us his possessions. Aren't you glad for the covenant of the grace of God? The next thing they would have done, they would have exchanged swords. They would have exchanged weapons. Hey, he wasn't just saying, my possessions are yours. He's saying, my power is yours. I thought it said to us, many received him, gave me the power to become the sons of God. Your outline ain't going to get the job done. Your study's not going to get the job done. But somewhere God's going to have to clothe you in the anointing power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, you're listening, your platform ability, you're listening, your talent to lead. It's not going to be enough because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But we're battling a spiritual enemy. And it's going to take a supernatural power. And that's why Jonathan said, Here's my sword. You can have my sword. The next thing they would, the next thing they would exchange. How many of you like westerns? 
Amen. And them westerns, them Indians, and them cowboys, they would become what kind of brothers? Blood brothers. You know what that is, son? That's a blood covenant. Where did the idea of that blood covenant come from? It came from your Bible. The word covenant means cutting. Amen. And the last thing, if Brother Dave and I were entering into a covenant, we, we would cut our wrist. Did not Isaiah said our image was engraven on his hand? They'd have stuck that nail right in there. Amen. Amen. And old Brother Dave, he would, he would cut his wrist. And the, we would clasp hands together. And what we would do is my my wrist was bleeding. And, and Brother David's wrist was bleeding. We would mingle our blood together. And we would become a blood brothers. I'm telling you, thank God. He didn't take my tainted blood. Oh, but I got a dose of his redeeming blood. And now it's just not his possession. And now it's not just his power. Oh, but honey, when we got in that covenant... We mix this person. I thank God. I'm a child of the King. And the reason you and I can make it, or the reason we can escape judgment when it's falling all around us, the reason there's hope is because of a blood covenant. Amen. I read, so if you and I were to make a covenant, that blood covenant, you know one of the last things that we would do? We would plant a tree to commemorate the covenant. That way when Elijah and Riley or Carter, our sons were to come down the road and they walked through there and saw the tree. It would be a reminder. Hey, some of y'all are going to get a hold of this on the way home and clean out a ditch, praise God. I'm telling you, listen, as a reminder that a covenant was made, what the songwriter said, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Thank God, friend, there's hope today when judgment comes. Mephibosheth didn't have to die because there was a covenant made. That, that graceful picture in the selection. But then there's that grievous pain. That one Mephibosheth, you've got to look in this text. If you go back and read it, there's two Mephibosheths here. There's one that's Jonathan's son. There's one that's Saul's son. But that one didn't escape. Can you imagine? Listen. Can you imagine? A nation was ravaged. Homes were destroyed. Hearts were broken. Brother Albert Edgar told me years ago before he went to heaven, he said, son, he said, you're going to deal with demons and devils that my generation never, never dreamed of. And the, the truth of the matter is, they're here. They're here. Amen. I'm talking about, and the people you're going to be preaching to, if there's this many broken homes now, there's going to be more in your ministry. 
And there's going to be more church. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just trying to show you the need of the power of God and the, listen, I'm being filled with that word, being filled with the spirit. Hey, friend, because you're going to be preaching to folks that walk in and their last hope is the house of God. They're coming in. If they can't get any help at church, or they're just going to go out. They're going to the attorney's office. And they're going to split up and children are going to be affected. What I'm telling you is the sorrow she felt. There was grace in that selection. But there was grief, friend. There was grief in the sentence somebody had to die. I think about the sorrow she felt. But number two, quickly, I want you to notice the strength that she found. The Bible said in verse number 10, and Riz for the daughter of Ai took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. You know what I got? Listen, let me just say this to you about this strength. I want you to notice verse 10, the love that motivated her. The love that motivated her. If you're going to stay in the ministry, you better love the ministry more than you love the platform. And you better love the ministry more than you like the lights. Because when you get in it long enough, you're looking for a dark place just to get along and catch your breath and have a moment of quiet. Amen, friend. Amen. I'm talking about the love that motivates. If you read the Bible prior to these chapters and you read the Bible after these chapters, uh, a risk but never was another key key player in other, any other biblical narrative. Uh, uh, she wasn't one to this place uh, and she wouldn't be the key player in any of the narratives outside of that. Uh, uh, but for this moment, uh, uh, for this challenge, uh, uh, for this hour, God uh, had raised Rizp up. Uh, uh, Fred, you better get your idea. You're not trying to Put your name in lights. You're not trying to oppress the brethren. But there's a God in heaven that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if you realize if I can please Him, if I can be satisfied with the will of God, if I can love Him, see, listen to me. If you do it for the people, and listen, you may quit. What Bruce said this. He said, we're not in it for the business. We're in it for the boss. Praise God. Because sometimes the product of the business is not everything you want. But the boss is boss. When the product's good and when the product's bad, the boss is good boss. When the sun's shining and he's the boss when it's raining and he's the only one that matters. The love that motivated her. She went up on that rock, them two boys hanging there dead. And she spread that sackcloth out. And she set up housekeeping. Here's the thing. Rizpah's two boys might have been dead, but the love of that mother was still alive and well. Amen. Hey, friend, America may be going to hell as fast as she can, but there ought to be something in us uh, that's still running out there to the uh, highways and byways uh, and saying you don't have to go. You don't have to go. You don't have to die without God. You don't have to let sin listen. They may not want it, uh, but there ought to be something in us uh, that is pushing us and motivating us uh, to make an impact in the hour in which we live. The love that motivated her. What about the labor that marked her? Here's a woman in her 60s and 70s. 
And she's determined to keep the bodies of her hanged sons from being desecrated while they were hanging. So she camps out at their feet of her dead, dangling boys for four months. Notice your Bible. From the beginning of harvest until the water dropped on them in heaven. The beginning of that barley harvest was May. The rains would not come till sometime in September. So for May and June and July and August and September, that mother stayed on that rock to keep uh, uh, those boys' body from being desecrated. Uh, had it not been for that mother, uh, uh, those bodies would have been picked clean by the vultures uh, and they'd have been tore apart by the predators. Uh, I'm telling you, during the agonizing heat of the day, uh, uh, she would battle the vultures uh, and then during the uh, and neighbor during the nighttime uh, of the cold of the night, the predators, the hyenas, uh, and the wolves would come out of the darkness uh, and what she she said was, listen, the predators cannot have my boys. I'll stay here till the rain comes until I know that God's been appeased. I would to God that God would give us some preachers with the characteristics and the commitment of risk that said God's not going to get the children of our church. And God's not going to, listen, the devil's not going to get our family. And the devil's not going to get our church kids. And Lord, I'll listen. I'll spread out the sackcloth and I'll battle the vultures and I'll battle the wolves until the Lord takes care of our children. And I believe when you study, you need to be thinking God's given you something to get in the pulpit and beat the vultures off and beat the wolves off. Amen, friend. Listen. Just go with me up there on that. Go with me up there on that mountain. It's nighttime. And neighbor, she didn't do it for a day. She didn't do it for an hour. She didn't do it for a week, Brother Caleb. Brother Smith, she didn't do it for two weeks or a month. But for May and June and July and August and September, she's battling the vultures off of her dead sons. Are you listening to me? Can you imagine she's on that mountain and it's cold and in Bible times in that desert at night? And she's reached over there and she's stuck that she hears those, uh, uh, she hears those calls of them wolves and hyenas in the, in the distance. So she sticks that uh, stick and that torch and that fire and she hears the cries get closer and closer and closer. And buddy, she went long they get there and she starts swinging, uh, uh, she starts swinging that fire around uh, and they're darting at those bodies and they're darting at her uh, and her life's in peril. Uh, uh, but she would not leave the rock. Uh, she just kept swinging and swinging and swinging. And maybe you think about Exodus 17. Uh, Moses went to the top of the mountain. Uh, Moses went up there before God. And friend, listen, Joshua was battling the battle. And friend, do you notice in that text, it didn't say Joshua got tired. It said Moses got tired. And don't you know, listen, uh, this was how she was a swinging at. And don't you know after a while, I don't know if you've ever swung a sling blade. 
I mean, when I was a boy, Daddy didn't have a weed eater to begin with. And we had an old bank, and I'd go out there with that sling blade and sling it. And man, every once in a while, I'd hit a rock, and it'd jar your whole body. I'm telling you, I was 6'5". I weighed about 180 pounds, 200 pounds then. I was in shape, and I couldn't swing it for about an hour. And my arms would ache, and my shoulders would hurt. Oh, but here's a 70-year-old woman oh, that for four months, every night she was battling the wolves. And every night she was battling the hyenas. And then the sun, oh, the sun would come up. And maybe she'd have just a little bit of time oh, to catch her breath. Oh, but as that sun got up in the sky and the heat began to build, oh, she could hear the fluttering of those vultures' wings. Oh, so she reached back over and got her stick. And she went to swing it again. And she swang it, and she swang it, and she just kept swinging. Oh, would to God some of us would make a commitment. Oh, when we feel like quitting, oh, we'll just keep swinging. Oh, when our arms ache, and our hearts broken, and our backs aching, oh, that we'll just keep swinging for the glory of God. Amen. The stench of those bodies must have been horrific. But the sight of that mother had to be heroic. Hallelujah. I'm done and I'll be I'm about done. Well, you can come back to the piano. Number three, and I'm done. Look at verse 11. Not only the sorrow she felt, the strength she found. But I want you to notice verse 11. The service that was favored. And it was told David... What Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. The story of Rizpah. Somebody had come by. And saw her swinging the stick. Maybe they walked by at night. They saw that fire going up there on top of that man. And they thought, I wonder what that is. So they came back the next day to see what that was. And they saw that aged mother. Up there on sackcloth, that repentance. Up there swinging that stick, protecting them dead boys. Somebody must have seen it. Her fighting the beast off, her fighting the birds off. Maybe something, something had to impress whoever it was that came by. So they said, you know, the king needs to know about this. Hey, preachers. Your people may not see what you're doing. Your friends may not see what you're doing. Your children may not know what you're doing. But I got good news. The friends may not know. And the neighborhood may not know. And the governor may not know. And the president don't know anything. I mean, God help. But I'm telling you, there's a king that's off in the distance. And the truth of the matter is, it wouldn't matter if you people knew. Because they don't have the ability or the authority to change it. And your children may not know. But thank God, the one that matters. The one that's got the ability. The one that's got the authority to change a situation. So I say study on. I say preach on. I say pray on. Because the king knows what you're doing. Amen. Amen. Some of you got the misconception that 
the road is all glory and glitz. And I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm so humbled by the opportunities that we get. We talked about it a little bit at lunch. But have you ever pulled up at night, wet, smelling like a bar of mule, just want to get home so bad you didn't change clothes and you itch all the way home and then you get to smelling yourself about an hour in you think gosh I should have changed clothes have you ever drove up in the nighttime and an angelic chorus be lining your driveway to welcome you home at three in the morning and I know your wife loves you and I know my wife loves me but she's not she's not wait she's not waiting on me in some beautiful some beautiful dinner wear and a, a meal cooked at three o'clock in the morning. No, she's laying in there snoring and she's asleep. And there ain't nobody lined up on your driveway wanting you to sign their Bibles. But I tell you what, Brother Tucker, the Lord keeps track of every mile. He keeps track of every tear. He keeps track of every time you open His Word. He keeps track of every time you call on His name. What I'm saying is, even the ones that are closest to you may not know. Hey, but listen, what you've got to realize is, the King knows, and the King can do things that everybody else can't do. I'm telling you, there was a service that was favored. I think verse 11, her... Her love compelled the sovereign. But then in verse 10 through 14, I believe her legacy challenges the same. Brother Clay, this is what absolutely blows my mind. If she was willing to do that for two dead children, how much more should we be willing for the Kelly to do for our living children. I so agree with what Brother Simpson said this morning that people tell you to stay, that people tell you to stay a distance. Listen to me. I've not learned how to do it without caring. And I don't think I can do it effectively without caring. Are you listening? You say, well, preacher, I'm going to get hurt. Well, see, the thing is, when you choose to love somebody, Listen, you've, choo- you've chosen to put yourself in a position they can hurt you. Listen, the world ain't going to hurt you. People that don't, you don't love don't hurt you. It's people you do. But you know what? The sad thing about it is, that's just the realities of life. Are you listening? But when you care. You know why them, that picture up there, I got them kids around me hugging my, hugging my legs and hugging my hug him away. You know why they do that? Because I hadn't blown them off. When they bring me a picture they've drawn at church, I put it in the leaf of my Bible and I take it home and put it in a file. And I keep it. And every once in a while I get, I might get discouraged and downtrodden a little bit and I'll reach in that little file and I'm not pulling out an outline. I pull out one of them little pictures. Where it's got me hanging over a pulpit like a stick man. I sure appreciate that perception, amen. I'm a stick man. I'm not rounded out, praise God. I appreciate their perception. And Brother Jolly, then I'm reminded 
that I want to do it for the children's sake. So when I, when I think about my children, I don't just think about my two sons. I think about our church kids. I think about your kids that I've grown to love. Your little ones that I'm getting to meet in Ohio. And I, I, I think about your daughter that you leave with us at camp. I think about Brother Caleb Chin roll with me today, Brother Jeremy's son. I love preacher's children. I, if I offend you in a meeting, if I excuse myself from you to talk to these children, you're going to have to get unoffended. Because if they're going to come talk, I'm going to take a minute to get on my knees and listen. You say, well, they can't give you a meeting. Hey, listen, God's the one that takes care of that, not me anyway. Amen. And I want them to know there's a preacher on a pul- in a pulpit that loves them and cares about them. Amen. I've loved your children. I love them when they're in and I love them when they're out. And man, listen. Boy, some of you sitting here and you're thinking, you better watch your tongue. My children will never do. You better bite your tongue off and spit it in the floor and stomp it dead. You don't know what your children might do. And if your children make it, it ain't going to be because your rules. And listen, I believe you ought to have rules. If your children make it, it ain't going to be because you're a good parent. If your children make it, it'll be because of the grace of God like everybody else's children that make it. Amen. I'm done. Well, Jimmy, if she'd do that for two dead kids... What more should we do for a generation? You say, well, preacher, nobody knows. Well, let me, I read, I read about a man by the name of H.P. Mackey. H.P. Mackey was in Scotland. He was getting ready to go off to college, and his mama really didn't want him to go off to college because she was afraid he'd get caught up in the wrong crowd. And so she finally reserved herself to the place that she realized that, that he was going to go. So she got him a Bible and she, she put a verse of scripture in that Bible. And then she wrote her name. And then she wrote his name. Well, after his graduated college, he went on to medical school. And while he was in medical school, he got to running with the wrong crowd. And he became a drunk. And one night in a drunken stupor, he was out of liquor. But Lawson... And he took that Bible that his mama gave him and he sold it for a little more money to buy some liquor. W.P. Mackey went on to graduate from went on to graduate from medical school, became one of the most renowned doctors in Scotland. He was the head doctor in one of those hospitals, renowned hospitals in Scotland, and one night they brought an accident victim in. They called Dr. Mackey to the bedside. He did everything he could to try to win that man, save that man's life. Then it became evident that the young man wasn't going to make it, so they communicated the news. That young man laid on his deathbed, looked at Dr. Mackey. He said, could you, could you do me one favor before I die? He said, could you send one of these nurses to my house? And let them see my landlord and ask them to bring me, ask her to give them my book and tell them to bring that book back to me. 
So Dr. Mackey charged one of the nurses and left to go see the other doctors. They came back with that with that book. And it was his Bible. It was that young man that was dying. It was his Bible. Dr. Mackey came later on back to check on the young man and he had just passed away. Dr. Mackey said, Did you were y'all able to get that book for that man? Were you able to get that book for that young man before he died? He said, yes, sir. He said, what was it? Was it a bank book? What was it? Some kind of act? What kind of book was it? They said, Dr. Mackey, it was his Bible. He said, is it still here? And they said, yes, sir. He said, it's under his hand. And W.P. Mackey picked up that Bible and began to thumb through that Bible and that cover of that Bible fell open. And in the cover of that Bible was that verse his mother's name and his name it was the Bible that he had pawned to get another drink of whiskey they said W.P. Mackey turned and ran out of that room turned to his office crumbled in the floor and got born again if you look at 370 in the bottom page of your, of your, your church hymnal you'd read some words that said Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. You say, what's so important about that? Those words were penned by W.P. Mackey. You say, what's the point, preacher? Nobody knew what that mother prayed but the king and even after that mama was gone and in heaven she did her best while she was living to beat the fowls off and beat the beast off and she did it for the children's sake my question to you is as we go away from this meeting when we think about acting right on social media when we think about needing inspiration to carry on, when we think about the warning, when we think about finishing, why should we do it? I think for the children's sake. See, we're living in a day, and I, I'm, I'm not slinging, or, but I'll just tell you this. We're living in a day where we can't discern between what is performance and what is power. What is production and what is genuine. I, I'm not being ugly. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you like a like a seal. And how are how is another generation going to ever know what the genuine article is? If some of us don't get that power and that perception and say for the children's sake, for the children's sake, what about for his sake? about for his sake. But them little babies, one of the mamas out there had a baby. Who's going to preach to Dax and Mays? Who's going to preach to your grandbaby? Who's going to preach to mine? Truth of the matter is, but they, most of our heroes are in heaven. And really, this is my 30th year preaching. And honestly, the finish line has become more prominent 
You say you're 50 years old. I bet you if you ask Brother Lee Davis, he didn't expect to die at 55, 56. But you remember Brother T. Gross from Mount Airy years ago? Built that great church up there. Died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. About 57, 58 years old. Preaching every week. Pastoring a great church. See, we don't know where the finish line is. So what I want to do, see what, what, Brother Ralph, would you come help me for just a minute? Would you come help me for just a minute? Brother David, will you come help me? My little man, come right here and help me, Brother Ralph. Another little man, my, my little man. Brother Ralph, if you would. Come on, son. You're right. You're doing good. You're doing good. Come, come right here by me, brother. Brother David, Brother Ralph, you'll be right there. My little man, come stand right here behind me and Brother David. Brother Ralph, I will, we're going to get you headed that way. So what we want to do is, we got this generation of men, and I want to thank God for men like Brother Ralph that have not wobbled on the axle. They're finishing the way they started. They're not dropping their colors. And don't you young men, don't you ever believe the lie that methods don't matter. See what they'll say, well, we're just trying to reach people. Well, God gives us a prescribed biblical way of reaching people. And friend, listen, we're not supposed to go water with the hogs and try to reach people. Amen. So there's a generation ahead of us, Brother David. There's a generation with me. And what I want to do, I want to, where's my little man? Come right here and grab my hand, little man. What I want to do is, for the children's sake, I want to, Push the generation in front of me and say, keep on, preacher. Don't stop. We're looking at you. And what I want to do is lock arms with my peers and say, let's, let's encourage this group to walk on. Man, I want to I encourage the ones that are with me. While at the whole time of the point next, I want to reach back and get to another, another generation and say, it's worth it. Don't quit. It's worth it. It's a genuine article. I think he's worth it. I think his generation's worth it. I still believe some of them can get saved. I'm telling you, beat the fowl off. Beat the bird off. Beat the beast off. And don't worry when nobody else does. Because the king knows. We're standing. Before we go home, it might be a good it might be a good time to say, Lord, would you let me be like this? And beat the birds and the beast off another generation. Lord, would you help me? Thank you, Pastor.